So I had two great subject matter experts who were keeping track of how many questions the other one wrote. And they were just <laughs> one upping each other that they were writing questions. At Emily and Legolas on uh, night. certification. <laughs> Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. I am Dave Darrington, and today I'm being joined by Debbie Smith. Hi, Dave. It's great to be here with you today. I'm Debbie Smith. I just recently joined Smartsheet as the senior manager of Smartsheet University, where I'm bringing together the entire university concept, including new certifications, which we will be launching in the next coming in the coming year. We'll be doing legally defensible certifications. Woohoo! Okay, and that, my friends, this is exactly where we want to start today. Um, so let me set the stage today. This episode is part of what I'd call our practitioner series. This is where leaders from the customer education space step up and show their voice about some of the major issues that we we have to encounter as customer education leaders today. In a sense, we're calling this customer education 200 level material. We're going deeper. And this is important because you know we're seeing really heavy interest in companies on this subject of certification. You might have had your leadership come to you and say, hey, guess what? I want you to roll out three, four or five certifications this year or something like that. Maybe you're doing research. Maybe you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, well, that's, that's interesting. Let's go and, and, and try to do this. What's it going to take? Maybe you've even tried to develop your own certification once. Maybe you've done it twice. Maybe you've had mixed results. Uh, so I'm going to speak personally, right? As, a, as um, the biggest help that I've had to understand this space is from Debbie here. So we're going to get into this. Debbie was Senior Certification Manager for QuickBase. Then you were recently at Braze. Now you're at Smartsheet. So we're really excited to see your growth and to see where you're going to go next. So let's get into this. Here's the hypothesis. Certification programs for SaaS, for software as a service specifically, can be delivered in much shorter timelines, but with caveats. True? False? What do you think? Absolutely. Definitely can be done faster. Okay. The thing that we have to think about is it's a risk factor analysis. Uh huh. So the most important thing is to understand what the steps are and why they're there, and then how we can tweak them to make them happen faster. And that's, it's kind of hard, right? So I think it's really, really important to understand one thing. Certification program isn't something, it is not something insignificant. What's the gravity? What's the weight behind that phrase? Like, what is it really like, it, you know, I take a test and I take a certification. What is the real difference there? So certif certification was actually defined what we have to do in labor laws in 99, right? So that's, that's why it's a big thing. Mm -hmm. Certification, why do companies want it? They want it because... They want market recognition, but they also want to be able to hire and promote people who are certified because they want to know they have those skills. Right. So if you want to know we have the skills, then you have to have a valid and reliable exam. If you don't follow the full process development 
methodology. Now, that's not you can still shortcut things, but you have to follow the full methodology uh-huh. to actually get a valid exam. If your exam is not proctored, it's actually not going to be valid because the questions are going to be out there. So some people have the answers. If some people have the answers to your quest, it's no your test is no longer valid. Um, so that's a piece that people miss a lot of times. A lot of times. As SaaS companies, we really get excited about that. But this is something that is going to likely take a lot of money and a lot of time. And what we're talking about today is how to shortcut a lot much of this, but it still does not obviate the or it's so extremely significant for us to think about how much goes into this, right? Like you might need to hire a psychometrician, a consultant. You you may you will definitely need to have staff, right? So can, can, <laughs> yes. Can, like, again, I mean, we're just kind of framing up again. We're not getting, haven't gotten into all the steps that we can do to talk that I really want you to open up and talk about ways we can accelerate. So, but, to think about the time input for mm-hmm. it. So just, you know, just like it in numbers, and this is a rough estimate. My right. rough estimate is that it's about a thousand hours of work to go into a certification. Wow. And that's a lot of work. Right. For one person, I mean, there are there's two thousand hours in a in a work year, right? Mm-hmm. So it's half your year. So but what we're really talking about is there's approximately five hundred hours for the test developer or certification manager, whoever's managing it, doing the reviews, doing the psychometrics, is about five hundred hours in that. Then there's about five hundred hours of SME time. You have to remember that because that SME time, if you can't get that SME time to develop the exams, you're going to have a really rough go of it. Goodness. Well, also talk to me a little bit about the money side of things. Like is from an average point of view, what what kind of number would you ascribe to, you know, a basic no frills certification first run kind of program? So the industry data that's out there from CertMag um, estimates it at about $300,000 to create one the first exam. Whoa, like one? Yeah. And now my numbers are lower than that, but that is what, what it's estimated out in the industry at. Um, That's tremendous. Now, so that, that incorporates not just the product and platform, but also like fees um, and people, right? People the- and implementation to deliver it for the year. Wow. Okay. So that's a lot. So the, that's a lot for the first year. And then, of course, your costs go down after that. But there are also, it depends on how much consulting fee you're paying or whether you're using internal folks. Um, consulting fees can get really expensive. Um, for an exam, it can run you, just to develop it per exam, it can run you fifty dollars to $150,000 in consulting fees if you pay an outside consultant. Right. But sometimes that's that's warranted, particularly like if, if I were to frame this up from my own personal experience, uh, for me, I my leadership goes, oh, okay, that much, but wow, okay, um, how many, re- wow, okay, you know, <laughs> I'm listing all these things out, but then the stark reality hit in somewhere in the middle of the project, and that's what I want to get into today. The look, let's think of the real gravity of this. You have tremendous experience. I have a little bit, but I have this pain that that's lurking that like, I want to, I want to relieve this pain. I want to understand going into my next one, how much faster I can get. And this all started because practically we're trying to do this ourselves. We want to do some more certifications. 
they're going to be a different spectrum. The first one we started was probably the hardest one we could have done. And that was not bad, but now we're going to go to the next step. So the first one is always the hardest one, Dave. The first <laughs> one's the hardest one for a number of reasons, though, beyond the development, too. It's the socialization in the company and the company not understanding the value. So trying to get the SMEs. So you have a lot of SMEs who are volunteer but their time isn't actually carved out on the calendar because even though right. we've explained what the time is going to be, that it, they, there's not a full understanding. And to your point about bringing in services, if you don't have someone who already understands certification, bringing in a consultant at first for your first exam to walk you through all of the processes and do it in the very, very formalized way like you did gives you that understanding of what the full process is. And then we can talk about how you can shortcut it. But if you don't understand the whole process, it's a little bit harder to shortcut it because you don't understand the whys you're doing. Yes. And that's, we did that. It was extremely helpful for us because um, I'll, I'll give a shout out to Patricia Young from uh, Criterion, who is our, our, our savior in a lot of ways, because she knows the space she could keep us calm down in moments of stress and anxiety. And I'm going to tell you the first run through, if you don't have someone like Debbie, you're starting out at Smartsheet now and you have the knowledge. So that's amazing. You won't need to get outside resources likely except to help you out. <laughs> well, I actually am. I'm actually using Patricia oh, Young too. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So yeah, she's going to, because I don't have, I'm in a position where I'm kicking off a certification program and I don't have a full-time dedicated staff. I don't even have one staff member yet for well, that role. There you go. So, so Trish, hello. We're going <laughs> to, here's her, ringing. That's, a, that's amazing. So, okay, let's start from there. Let's start backing into this. And, and, and let me just kind of do a preview of the, the subject areas that, that we're going to cover today. So kind of like an index. First, I'd like to start this out Again, we've already talked resources a little bit. So let's dive into project management because I understand from, from your perspective, when we've talked before, that's one of the main pillars of certification. And then we're going to roll through some of the key areas that you might get stuck on in certification. I know that we struggled through some of these, the job task analysis or JTA, um, then item writing. And oh my goodness, there's so much interesting stuff involved in that. And there's a lot of logistical issues that you need to overcome. Um Beta testing, got, got some lessons learned to share in that one. Um, and then the back end or the actual underpinnings, the, inter the interstices is the word I like to use, the guts of what's all making this go. And then, for example, when you get launched, you got to maintain this. You got to keep it up and running. You've got systems to, to work with. You need processes behind that. So let's start back at the top. Debbie. The obvious thing is you have said to me, and I believe you, and not just believe you, I have experienced this project man is all really comes down to project management. So what do you mean by that? Well, even if you're going to work with someone as great as Trisha, you still need a project manager on your team. You need someone to manage that project because Trisha's going to do the consulting for you, but she's not going to wrangle all of your SMEs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An exam can't, it can't be written by one or two people. You really need an army to write it. it. When I first started, I always said I had to have 25 people to write it because that was the best practice uh -huh. is to have 25 people writing it. 
getting 25 SMEs for that long is really hard. You really need to have at least five people writing your questions so that you have different uh, different questions coming in, right? Right. So who's going to wrangle those? Who's going to set up all the meetings? There's a lot of meetings around this. You, you also have to schedule time on people's calendars for them to actually do the work and make sure that it gets done. And you have to hold people accountable for delivering when they said they were and on time. If you don't hold your SPEs accountable to delivering on time, your exam development time can double, triple, quadruple. Right. And and unfortunately, I've had that experience. Or if you have the wrong SMEs, you'll have the same problem. I also had that experience where I've made a couple of mistakes in my SMEs. Uh, the first mistake that I made on one exam that I was doing is I thought I knew who the right subject matter experts were. I brought them all in to write questions. And when they wrote the questions, I found out they were the wrong SMEs. Oh, goodness. <laughs> then on the same exam, if that wasn't bad enough, I went external to have partners come in. But I forgot to put in the prereq that they were all native English speakers or fluent English speakers, and we were only delivering the test in English. So the questions that we got were not things that we could actually use because they weren't understandable. Wow. So, so the project management of all of this is really a lot of work, especially if you're pulling in partners or customers to write. You got to wrangle cats. Yeah. You know, this is a this is a moment for me where I'm going to be um, a little vulnerable and transparent because as and I've done this twice and the second time I real the first time I did it I did a certification program more as a pilot and and it was using all the best practices but we didn't really have a big massive test right like we would using Criterion we've done that since at Gainsight and now at Outreach and the moment of I guess anxiety that I that really was palpable to me was okay. We've gotten things set up. We've already announced to. We've we've selected a team. We've we've got this list. We're reaching out to them. We're reaching out to managers, and we get into the thick of things. And my leader comes up to me and says, "Hey, got some complaints. <laughs> this is taking uh, the folks that are involved in this didn't realize how much time this was, and and there's and." And part of it actually was on me too, because part of the project management is not just getting the SMEs aligned, but it's your engagement with them. That if you don't have your, you know what together and to facilitate and structure the experience that they're going to have, whether it's the job task analysis, you know, objectives uh, or item writing, that then it's, you might have people sitting in a room, not doing anything or wasting an, an ungodly amount of time. And that's not fair, but it's also something from an accountability perspective you have to have. So th there are some areas in there that I really like want to dive in on as we're wa walking through this. Definitely, because there are some of those project management things that I've definitely learned and I've gotten better at over, over the years of doing this because I've now produced uh, seven legally defensible exams. That's massive. Um, and my team this year, um, in the next two years, will be doing another five exams. So, you know, this this is definitely something that I do a lot of. <laughs> I just can't. I just can't. You know, five exams in a year, and that's what I really want to dig out, Debbie. Is that it was a lot to do one, and you know, I felt like it was a marathon. And I get to the end of it, I'm like. <sighs> 
oh my, I don't know if I ever want to do this again, but I kind of want to do it again. It's, it's that masochist trait I have. Uh, you want to learn more, right? You think this is, and, and the, the, the thing that I walked away from this first experience, Debbie, was this, like, we've been talking a lot. We talk with other folks. Um, there is a, there's an event happening and, you know, for time travelers, this is happening on May 14th. Um, we have a, a kind of like a meetup called CE beers, customer education beers. If you haven't heard of that, so this community, welcome to that. Um, we can kind of commiserated with all of the, everything that's going on. You, you need to have a strong group, a peer group to help you out. You need to have a strong team. So let's stop there on the project management side. It's going to pervade this discussion. And let's start talking about like the actual steps as we progress through it. Like the, the like you want to talk with your peers and get some, get some help because nobody can believe five in a year. How do we do that? We all want to know. Let's start from the top. Let's talk about the job task analysis. And you know what I just realized, Dave? We actually skipped a step. We did. Okay. And that's that's because I think on the fly and I like, like, (laughs) I stop doing it. This is where like my project management comes into it. It's like, okay, I got to remember to write this piece down because I'm missing this. What we're really missing first is the test definition. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We totally forgot about that, didn't we? Yep. You can't do a job task analysis if you don't know what you're defining. So you have to create, you have to do a test definition. And so really a test definition, what that does is tells you who the exam is for. Is the exam for an associate level or an advanced level? Uh-huh. You know, six months experience using your software, no experience using your software. Are you doing a product-based? Is it a core product certification or is it a role-based certification? Those are all going to change the way you think about your job task analysis, but they're also going to be a bigger part of your, your entire certification picture. Because if you develop a core product certification, I will put it in writing that someone's going to ask you for an expert. They always want that next level, right? So whatever you do first, you're always going to be asked for something to build on it. So that test definition, when you're doing that, you may actually want to start and think as a holistic view where you want to be in three years and what all of your certifications would be in three years. Oh, goodness. So this really goes back to our roadmap, uh, you know, planning ahead. I I know I will name drop Bill uh, Cashard because Bill always talks about uh, roadmaps, you know, two years, five years, something, you know, crazy. But I believe that. And I know that I work with that. If like I've gotten stuck in my role a couple of times when you're like going and going and going and grinding and grinding and grinding. And then all of a sudden you've got a trans I'm a chemist by education. So this thing called a phase transition, it's that when a substance change, you know, it's like ice melting, you're going from a solid to, you know, liquid or a vapor or whatever beyond that. Um, But it's very subtle and different than all of a sudden you're like, okay, I hit a wall. I literally hit a wall and now we're doing something completely different. And if I'm not, if I don't have like a map that going in the forward and, and, and I'm going to challenge the audience here too, you should be thinking about certification when you're starting out. So if you're brand new, maybe you're a year in, it's going to hit you. Somebody's going to ask for this and you're probably going to need it. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic point. Not only, so then you're saying, not only think about the, the definition of the exam that you're trying to build, but back up a step get a whiteboard, sketch out all the other things that you know are going to pop out of this. Like for us right now, we're already looking at, we, we released the admin one 
And folks are like, oh, well, what about the admin 200 level that certifies partners on this advanced? Okay, what about our sales development reps at Outreach? You know, that's one of our main, uh, you know, we call them a prospector, somebody that's trying to reach out to people. What about the managers of those? What about account executives? What? Oh my gosh, so now, now that's where I am in this moment. And we're, we're thinking about what's next. And I know we're going to stay on legally defensible certification, but that's, that's where you really need to think about your whole credentialing system and think about it as a credentialing system hmm. instead of thinking about just certification. And that's also going to make your life a lot easier. Because if you think about a credentialing system and you put in some type of badging system where you bring in badges for your certification, then add skills badges or maybe advanced level badges that you can only participate in after you get your certification. That's another faster way to get to a certified solution without building as many certified ex- cert- certification exams. So there's a few different ways to start to think about that in a whole ecosystem. And that's also part of what I'm working on right now um, at Smartsheet. I'm working, I've got a great team of people um, and they've already done all the background work for this. So I'm just coming in to help pull everything together for them because they've done great work thinking about the credentials. And so we will be putting in a credentialing system where we're doing the legally defensible certifications. We'll have certificate courses where you take a course and earn a badge. We'll also do skills badges. All of these together are going to play into our credential system. That's fabulous. And I know we've done, we did it backwards, Debbie. <laughs> we, we Actually, well, not so much. We, we built our certification at the very end of that certification is when we implemented the credential, the badge. And now we're actually extending that back to the beginning of the story such that we want you. So, so again, I, I, don't, I could probably put a graphic up on the screen. At the moment, we have three learning pathways at the company I work for, Outreach. So I've got, can't see it, Outreach. <laughs> I've got <laughs> branded today. Um, and we have the admin. So that's a really, and most software companies in our space have this. You have somebody that's configuring the platform. To me, that's almost a, a, a table stakes to start with, even though it's harder. But the problem that I usually have had to solve, both at Gainsight, both at Outreach, is that Coming in, the admin has had the hardest time. They don't have the frame up. They don't have all the pieces. They don't understand anything. So one of the things that we put a lot of work on in my current position at Outreach is we built an entire support system for the admins, all on demand. Um, and, And then there's a lot more office hours and things like that so that they can go to earn their cert. Now we're coming back and resurfacing that and thinking of all the different roles that we can do. But they're I don't think I'm going to do it as high stakes. Then I want to do it faster, so <laughs> that's where we we need your uh, your your wisdom. That's we're doing um, a product, a core product certification, and a system admin, like you said, because mm-hmm. the system admin is is definitely a need, and then the core product, and then we're doing the role based on top of those. That's cool. That's fun. And as a user of Smartsheet, frankly, I'm th- this is so meta to me. This whole talk is. Okay, we know each other. We're friends. We're peers. We've worked together in different projects, like generally. And then I I use Smartsheet, and that's- and I use Outreach. <laughs> <laughs> Peanut butter jelly time. Um, no, it's really cool because like I would love to go and start to earn those credentials because here here's where I'm at going in. Let's think about Smartsheet. You could use any of a constellation of software, 
And, you know, I've used Asana, I've used all kinds of different tools, but for, for me, I'm finding more value in settling on one standardizing on that for the team that we're on, but there's things I need to learn. And the, the thing about SAS and, and again, we probably get back on track here, but I think this is really important to say is that I like the, the concept of credentialing leading up to a cert because it's showing that I've got like milestones in my journey of learning. And then for yep. me, I might come in and say, okay, I don't have a lot of time. I'm like you, I'm a senior manager, customer education program. I'm doing a lot. I'm learning a lot. And then I have to stop, scratch, needle, go learn. But I want to do that in smaller doses. Yep. That's why I think what you're talking about at credentialing is super important because it allows me to step into it, right? And it also, for those of you who get a mandate from the CEO that they want a certification in three months, like I've had that. I know, Dave, you've had a similar request. Uh, if you bring the credentialing system in first, you're often hitting what they're actually asking for because when they when C-level asks for certification, they're usually referring to the badges that they're seeing. Uh-huh. And they're and that's really what they're talking about. And they do want the certification too, but they don't understand the magnitude. So if you bring in the credentialing, it's that quick win that you can get in the first place. Yeah. So that's why I, I like to launch that first. Now I didn't do that originally. That's my new method of doing it. Well, was that even a thing? I mean, I, I've seen the rise of credly and accredible and other badging uh, tooling, but has that even been a thing? as much as it is today, two years, three years ago? It started, I'm trying to think, PMI pushed my badge out. So I, I got my PMI certification in 2013, but then I think it was 2015 that they started with the badges. And I think that's when I started to see more of the SaaS companies do more of the badging was okay. in 2015. Um, but it was in there too, right? They, they started doing a kind of badging platform of their own. Salesforce. If <laughs> Salesforce, right? Yep. And and so that 2015, it started to gain recognition. Uh, and I think you're right. I think it's just in the last two to three years that it's become really big for SaaS companies. Yeah. Um, and it could be very impactful. Hugely impactful. I know. I, I really want to see when the experiment kicks off. We're, we're kicking off a uh, credentialing system for our main learning pathways. Very soon, I don't have an ETA on that. But when we were launched, we launched the uh, the admin cert program. We saw the certs hit LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, the podcast prior to this one, Debbie, just and as we're speaking, it's launching. It was with Sam Cummings of LinkedIn, and we talked about this social selling. And I'm going to have to embed a clip here of that, of him talking about my program. And like to, parroting back to me, like how exciting this is to see all this stuff happen and then the badges appear on social and that the, the storytelling that happens around that. For example, I will point out one person, a uh, um, friend of mine, part of our project team here at Outreach, John Fung, he, I asked him like, how is, I saw his badge online on LinkedIn and I saw the numbers were just ridiculous. All the views, like thousands of views on this one badge. And he goes, what's happening? How, what, this is amazing. And I go, this is amazing. This is significant. All of our team, when they did that, all of our customers, when they did that, you would see this resounding spread of the badge all through the world. And then others are looking at it like, I could get that too. I saw the exact same thing at Braze. Um, 
in three months at Braze, we certified um, over 250 people around the world. Within 90 days, we had a global certification program that there were people on all content all populated continents, taking exams and sharing them on LinkedIn. And the shares and the reshares were just amazing. And it was just great to see all this in the feed that it was, it was just intrinsic. It was great marketing that was happening organically. It was fantastic. Yeah. Marketing teams should be on alert for, I work more and more with marketing on this kind of stuff and it's almost a gift to them. Yes. What's happened? Oh, this is amazing. I've got all this free marketing of our platform. And it's easy to not think about that because if you're so down in the weeds building a program and then it, it's actually really exciting at the end of it, it's so rewarding to see people. And I, 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 I we definitely need to get on to the next topic, but I'll tell you this story that I, I see the customers and even our own team members just light up with joy when they, when they see that badge and it goes out on social and then their peers are proud of them. Right. Exactly. It's just, it's it's heart. It's the heartwarming piece to certification. That, and when you get someone who tells you that they got a job promotion or they got a new job, a better job because they got the certification. Those are the those are the reasons that I keep doing it, even though it can sometimes be painful to do. Yeah. So now that we've talked about the test definition and, and the credentialing and fitting all that in, the next thing that we need to do is the job task analysis. So yeah. what is a job task analysis and what's the purpose of a job task analysis? So let's let's look at it from that first. The purpose of the job task analysis is to identify everything that your test taker needs to know or do to pass that exam. So you want to start by breaking down what it is that they have to do in your product. What is it that they have to know to use your product? Mm -hmm. So once we come up with this full list of everything they need to know or do, how do we figure out what they need to actually be tested on? That's the purpose of the job task analysis. Now, there's two ways to do this. The traditional way, which will take probably six to eight weeks to do, is to do a job task analysis survey, which we tend to just call the job task analysis. Technically, that's the survey. The job task analysis is really listing out the tasks. To do that survey, that survey can give you amazing data. When you take that survey and you start out with applicability, and you list different things, who needs to do it? You might be able to get multiple um, test structures from one job task analysis if wait. you list multiple roles. Wait, wait, okay. Scratch your record, hold on a second. So you can, that was painful. And not that painful, but it was painful. You had had a lot of time in critical discussions with people, but you're saying that instead of like me, I got one out of this, we could possibly get multiple and that's, I want to learn. I really want to learn more, and I think the audience does too. So let's look at um, something like, for example, with Smartsheets right now. What I, some of the roles that I'm considering? I'm not sure. I'm not committing to sending these out there. If you're a Smartsheet user, we're still in the process of honing these in. But we're we're talking about a project management role certification, a program management role certification, and a process management role certification, right? They are three distinct functions that people use Smartsheet for all the time. 
there's a lot of overlap though. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that you know a program manager needs that a project manager needs and a process manager needs. So when I do my job task analysis, if I take the tasks from all three of them, put them mm-hmm. into one list, divide them by domains, and then instead of asking the three questions, how important is it? How hard is it to do? And how often do you do it? I add one more dimension that is, and that's who needs to do it. And so does the process manager need to do it, program, project? And if you do it as multi-select, you can let them choose one or all or any combination of them. So now instead of having to do three separate job task analysis, I have just cut this time down. I've saved, if I've got done three in one, I've actually saved 12 weeks worth of time. That's substantial. <laughs> Three months? Yeah. <laughs> I'll say yeah. that's an understatement. But okay, so let me process that. And we're going into our next phase where earlier on, I'm, I, I mentioned we have three, you know, and I call them end users, you know, they're core users. We have um, a, a prospector, somebody who's a BDR, SDR. You know, they're, they're working on the, the product more than anybody else. That's our 80%. Well, very high. Um, and then we have a manager of those people, which there's nuanced differences. You have to understand all of that, but you need to go more. Now you need to think about, well, how can I coach? How can I mentor? So you need to know all the same stuff plus a little bit. And then we have like an account executive that's very similar, but the differentiation between an account executive who is a closer, Right. What normally in the sales motion, a prospector or a sales or business development rep um, is is bringing in people. You know, having a having a good interaction with somebody and getting them excited, gauging their interest, and then if you say, "I want to buy your product," cool, let's go over to our closer, our account exec. Now they're in different kinds of motions, but they're using our platform similarly. And then, right. we, this, so you're basically saying it's kind of like a view, and I would think of it in a database. So I could collect all this stuff, then filter out on SDR. Boom, here's the job task analysis for that. Filter out on account exec. Here's that. And we've done it all in one. Yep. Exactly. It might, take a little, it might take a little bit more time, but or not. It really doesn't take as much time because those those discussions that you're having around that job task analysis, those questions are already coming up because I'm sure as you're talking to people, they'll they'll say, well, the SDR needs to know it, but the account executive doesn't. Yes. Right? Because they're already saying that to you. Yeah, that's also your internal point of view. And here's what's fascinating from the way I do my job task analysis survey too, is I break my survey down after it's it's done for the for the certification. I break it down for internally for us to look at, because I separate it out by segment. So I separate out what are my customers saying, what and especially what are they saying is hard to do and how often they do things. When we ask internal folks, are they saying the same things are hard and that our customers do it as often? Usually there's some difference in what we think is hard and what they think is different. Mm -hmm. And then also our partners. So if I can break it down and show you who thinks what's difficult, the data that I can give back to the UX team and to product marketing and product management, all of a sudden they are now bought into certification because we're giving them data and we're helping them. It creates a really good cross-functional team. Oh my gosh. And that, I don't think that's usually brought out in this discussion. 
the discussion about certification that so you're we are serving other audiences internally as well as externally that you know i i've actually had my product team start to ask us questions about hey we've got this great big new functionality actually a separate product in in the works how will our certification for admins evolve to incorporate that? I'm like, I love this. You're thinking ahead for me. <laughs> Saves me some time too. But it shows that that organization's bought in. Right. So that that's trust. That's cross-departmental trust. Now you're seeing the real value and a new value of customer education. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. So is anything else on, on the, the job task? I think you'd said something about so using there's, content. Yeah. So there's one, there's a couple of places that I start when I start with my job task analysis. Mm-hmm. One of the first places I go to get all of my lists of what needs to be done is I start with every company I've gone into has already had e-learning created right. and ILT created. So I start with their lists of objectives for their training as a faster way to start to assemble this instead of starting with a blank page. So that's one place that I look. The other place that I look to start with a job task analysis is if your company has um, something like a continuum. At Braze, we had a, um, a continuum where customers would move through different levels and we could see the different usage. Right. And as we were doing that, there were different tasks that we knew that they completed for each of those. So we incorporated those into our job task analysis. What that did is it made me speed up the actual co- collection of the tasks mm-hmm. because I could go to a SME with a list already created and have them add to it or tell me something was worded wrong and really refine it and then build on it. It's much easier for SMEs to start with a list of something than to start from blank. So that's right. that's one thing in the analysis space. The other thing is that you don't have to do a survey. It is a best practice to do it. But if you have to get a, get it out in two months or three months, you might not have time to do the job task analysis survey. So you can take your job task analysis that you have all your tasks and sit down with three to five speeds in a meeting and take a couple of hours and go through it with them and have them tell you which ones are the most important and how to think about waiting the exam. I've done that to get an exam out first and then as part of recertification, run the job task analysis to verify what I've done with my SPEES in the next level. So there's some a little bit of risk with it, but there's not much of a risk. So it's something to consider. Especially for my more things that you already have a, a good context on. Exactly. Right? Like the roles that I just talked about, we have tremendous amount of information. We have tons of thought leadership. We have huge number of best practices. Frankly, I think we got all the dirt, you know, we need to build a really good exam. Right. So sit down with your speech and have them tell you, you know, break it down into your domains, which, which is really, you know, is it worth spending 25% of an exam here? Should we be spending 50%? Should we be spending 10%? Some of it's going to depend on how many tasks are under it and how important those tasks are. But you can use your SMEs to tell you that at first, if you want to get it through first, faster. Yeah. And, and there's also other things too. I think you mentioned like use, using definitely content we already have, but you know, I have surveys on the content that we've been using for a year plus. And that tells me other information too, because some of the features and workflows and ideas are received less 
well, lower survey ratings, right, than other ones. Yep. So I know like, oh, well, feature X or product X is a little bit harder and I'm going to have to do some more, but I have information on what they're getting stuck on. Yep. So, so basically what you're saying is get the lay of the land, see what you've got, bring that all in first, and you could shortcut maybe months of time. Exactly. Good Lord. We got saved 12 weeks. We saved a couple months. <laughs> and, and this is like, so on average, I think this is an important moment to step back and say, on an on average, a certification program, let's say vanilla, you're not shortcutting. You're just doing it straight best practices, Debbie. What might that look like from a time perspective? So looking at it from a time perspective, if you use a psychometrician and do all the, the typical, you're usually talking seven to nine months. Yeah, that's about right for our experience. So, and especially in this remote world, right? If you're talking about pre-COVID days when we all got in a room to do it together, you if you have your job task analysis done from that point to um, to getting to beta, you can actually get to that in six weeks if you have all of the people and can pull them all on site and do two-week work, do a two-week workshop with them. You can really shortcut it. Um, and that the problem with that is I've never worked at a company that was willing to give me the 10 or 15 <laughs> or 20 people that I needed for two solid weeks. Like no one will do that. So that's why the process takes longer. The process takes longer because we can't get all of those people in the room at the same time. You look yeah. at some of the bigger companies, um, Joe Canada from Canaxis, uh, his normal development time is six weeks because that's the, he pulls everyone into the room and, and does it that way. So he can get them out fast because he's able to get the resources he needs. That's amazing. And he's lucky. <laughs> There's a lot of He us is are. lucky. <laughs> Particularly with COVID now, it's all, uh, it's, we went into this as we were starting to, to spin up, we had the doubts like, oh, is this going to end before we have to start all of our meetings and cut that out? Um, is this going to start before we had all of our meetings? And no. It it didn't, and it, it it was tough, like really tough. Yeah. Um, I know where. I, how are you on time? I don't have anything after this, so we can run over. Okay, good, because I didn't want to. I, I tend to get. Uh, I, I try to speed things up, and then it's not as fun. Okay. Yeah. Let's yeah, we talk. Can... Okay, let's shift into another gear. So we've already talked about you know the job task analysis. We've talked about other key steps in doing this. Let's. Let's get into the, the meat of it. So we're doing item writing. So from the job task analysis, that's going to tell you how many questions you need for each objective, right? So that's going to give you your exam blueprint. Right. Right. So if, once you have your exam blueprint, then we go into the item writing. Item writing is hard. Tell me about and it. <laughs> oh my gosh. And people don't understand how hard it is. Why is it hard? It's hard because if you're writing multiple choice questions, you have to have, okay, research now says you can do three questions. I'm old school. I still do. I'm sorry. Research says you have to have um, three answers. I'm old school. I still do four answers. It just feels right to me. And I never want to alternate between three and four answers for questions. If you alternate the number of questions you have, and some questions have three and some questions have four, I will guarantee you that you're going to have test takers who will email you or will put comments in the questions <laughs> saying that the question did not load completely, right? So for consistency 
in for end user experience, I think it's just easier to always do four. So that's that's why I do four. But when you're writing four, you need one absolutely correct answer Mm -hmm. and you need three plausible distractors. What does that mean? They have to be real. They can't sound fake. They can't just be all of the above and none of the above, which we don't ever use. Uh, And they can't be Mickey Mouse answers. They can't be answers that people just know are wrong or it reduces the validity of your exam. So your questions have to be written really well. Your distractors have to be the same length. They have to be the same format. So if if one starts with a noun, they all have to start with a noun. They can't give away the answer. And your distractors and your questions can't be teaching. So you don't need to give the information to teach about something else as you're doing it. And a lot of times when we write questions, we don't even realize we're doing that. And we try to incorporate that type of thing in it. So there's a lot to writing questions. It's, I I wanted to pause on this a little bit intentionally because, okay, some of my experiences have been, I've been a university professor Um, in that I had to create tests. I had to create exams. And then in that, in that experience, this, this is something that I don't know if a lot of people like bring thought to a lot of universities now have a lot of adjuncts, right? I was an adjunct. Those universities don't train you how to write exams. They don't train you how to be a professor. Those are the things like I always say, you're either a teacher or you're not. <laughs> it's just kind right. of a soul. And most of us have gone through the educational system. So we've just like absorbed the ways of doing things canonically. Yes. And that means when we go to write questions to take tests, you have teachers that made really good tests that you go, oh, this test was hard. That person likely knew how to write an exam. They probably could have done a good certification exam. Yep. But most of us don't. Like we, as I write for e-learning, the kinds of questions that I would write intentionally for e-learning would be, I want to check. I just kind of want to move you through to think a little bit. I want. I. I don't want to make it hard. I want you to process and retain and challenge. But the the certification again. We're coming back to the basics. The goal is that I want you, Debbie, if I'm teaching you something, to be able to bring that back and say you can prove that you understand this without Google. You know, everybody's a Google genius these days. Without Google, without anything, you're completely stripped of all of your notes. It's just you and the computer. And that's why I can't express enough to anybody listening here to really think about this step. Learn, practice, get your team up to speed, but set the stage that this is something that I actually did this, Debbie, on my team. I said, hey, guess what? Like I I invited all our enablement team who, you know, they're in different teams at our company said, you know what, I'm really going to invite you to join into this. I already know you have subject matter, matter expert, but this is going to teach you how to write really good questions. And that's going to go back and seed into the work you do. And and they were like, oh my God, you're right. I'm writing better questions. There's a huge value and ROI in that, that you don't even think about. There absolutely is. And um, if you did launch a credentialing program, one of the things that you may want to consider doing is having subject matter expert badges where you actually award badges to people who learn how to write questions too, so that they have that skill set documented uh, and you know who you can go back to. So that's easier. And you know, in e-learning, we often write true false questions, right? Because we just want people to stop and think. 
in certification, we cannot use true-false questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. True-false questions don't tell us anything because it's a 50-50 guess. So 50% of the people are going to get the question right just by the fact that it's on the paper. Right. And if the answer is false, you have no idea what you're testing. If yeah. it's true, you're testing the objective. But if you're giving an answer that the answer is going to be false, you don't know what you're actually testing. And you don't want all your multiple, all your true-false to be true because that would get caught on very quickly. So we really need to stick with multiple choice or multiple select. I will tell you our customers all hate multiple select. Hands down, I'm going to tell you right now, they all hate it. That being said, we tend to use it. And why do we use it? Because it's easier to write. It's easier for us. I had the unfortunate experience of having to go back through and rewrite every one of my multiple select questions into multiple choice because we had so many complaints when I was at QuickBase from our customers. So I took all of the multiple select out uh, and it made the customers happy. If you do multiple select and you have three right answers, then you have to add two distractors. You have to add two wrong answers. So then you have to have five questions, five answers. You right. always have to have at least two to have a statistically significant ex- question. Okay. So let me repeat it back. Like, well, technically we've gone over the, the key tips, best practices, right? Multiple select. I know people complain about that. So you would advocate for kind of a balance or use them sparingly or step into it. If your audience, like everybody's audience that you're trying to certify is different. Yep. So some may not be opposed, like, but it would depend on the kind of exam you're doing. For example, if I was doing a sales development rep exam, I want those individuals to feel supported around only certain kinds of things. Like I'm really working to drill in best practices around our product and, and it will probably be lighter weight, but an admin, uh, when they're on the line in the heat of the moment and they have a data issue or something fundamental, the job you're doing, the job we're doing in certification is work. Who was it? I was talking to, it may have been Trish. Um, you, you could think about your exam as serving. Do you, are you serving a doctor? I mean, is this person going to be operating on you? Is it, are you serving someone who's flying a plane, you know, and you, you want her to be a spot on and, and in, the, in the heat of the moment, um, be able to make the right decision that's informed. So that's the, the call to action for us. We're, we're wanting to challenge people. We can do it in, in different degrees. Um, let me ask you another thing, though. Uh, I think we've got some other questions around, like, um, tips on ratings and comments and things that how long the review cycle goes for these questions. Great question. So part of the item writing isn't just writing the, the items. There's a few things that have to happen. You have to have, uh, you can call it either a technical review. Some people call it a technical review. Some people call it an alpha review. Uh, and really what that is, is it's asking you to rate each question on a scale of one to five how clear and concise it is. Does it measure the test objective? Mm-hmm. Is there only one correct answer? And um, how clear, uh, how technically accurate it is? Is, is it actually correct? Believe it or not, you are going to have subject matter experts write questions that are wrong. Like, no. <laughs> the answers will just be wrong. 
And that you know, I say this because our, I've experienced it. Yeah, exactly. You don't think it's going to happen, but it does. So you, with that technical review, you have to make sure that it's technically accurate, clear, concise, plausible, distractors, and test the objective. For about 150 questions, it takes three hours for each person to review that. That's all a commitment. It's a commitment. And you really want to have at least five people review the questions. So they're that comes, up the hours for every, this yep. is why you were talking about before, you know, five, 500 hours for the, the person running the show, 500 hours spread across the SMEs. Ouch. And for context, my, my five, where that comes from is that comes right from, uh, from Jacob Nielsen, uh, the usability expert who mm -hmm. did research in the late nineties and showed that in order, when you're reviewing anything, it doesn't matter what it is. It takes five experts to review it everything to find 95% of the mistakes. Okay. That's so good. That's, rule of thumb. <laughs> <laughs> that is my rule of thumb. And that's exactly where that comes from. Five experts, 90, 95%. That's, that's excellent. Um, well, let me flip back a little bit because you had just said something about pushback. So what I'm thinking now is, as we're talking about resource time, we can go back and have that palpable sense of, Oh my God, you've got, SMEs that you're asking your leadership for time from, or customers might be involved, partners might be involved. Point is that there's dollars and there's real impact to the bottom line that's caused by our engagement with these teams. Right. So part of that, like, I, I'm not really going to talk about the managerial pushback because you shouldn't be getting any from your leadership, but you do have, um, you do need to think about efficiency. Yep. Uh, and, and that's something that I was called out on and I'm transparent about it. It was a hard conversation to have. And I go, there's no other option, right? We don't have, because we were moving really fast. We didn't have the resources we need. We had to do things the way we did the first time. I'm, I'm wiser now. I've been beat up a little bit by the experience that we're trying to help all of you get through here. But let's talk about then how do we reward and incent people? through this. You just said badges. I love that. Like you could have a technical review badge, an item writing review badge. That's really super cool because when I give you that badge, that goes on LinkedIn. That's part of your portfolio. These are things that we're learning as you go. Maybe even your enablement team might even get a wise to this too. And you know, I'll call it my friend, Sean, who's our enablement team manager for professional services. Hey, Sean, we can do a badge for our team <laughs> and do an enablement course on it. That would be really cool. Exactly. But what about, um, there's two other things. You mentioned stuff around partners, what we could do to incent them. And also like those who are doing commission-based commission resources. Like I'm going to be engaging with sales development rep. They're going to be called, they're going to be losing some of their, their time to close deals, right? So what are some other things that you would use to bait and incent people? So one, one thing that I did that went over really well, uh, one of the first exams I did, I got everyone in a room. Uh, we could be in a room back then, uh, but you could, do this all, you could do this virtually still. But I did a pizza and beer lunch. So I bought a bunch of pizza, had the beer in there, and then I had $50 gift cards to give to the person who wrote the most usable questions Sweet. for each lunch. <laughs> so I... They had fun. I actually stood at the front of the room with a wheel and I had all my domains on it. And then I had the list of the objectives. So I'd spun it. Here's the domain. Here's the objectives. And okay, we're going to write questions on that for 
15 minutes. And then we just spun through the wheel to get through questions. And we did that a couple of days in a row. And then for people who weren't able to attend the pizza and beer lunch, then I did a week long open writing that you could write um, into the platform, write the questions and mm-hmm. whoever wrote the most that way also got it. And, you know, people who are in the roles of like solutions architects and sales, they tend to get in and support, they get into the gaming piece of it. So I had two great subject matter experts who were keeping track of how many questions the other one wrote. And they were just <laughs> one upping each other that they were writing questions. At Emily and Legolas uh, certification. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. It was great, but I got, that's how I got them to write it. So that was great. Another thing I've done is partners. So when we bring partners in to write questions, one, there's this thing called an administrative grant. What's an administrative grant? That is when you have subject matter experts writing the questions. If they've written the questions, they obviously know the material. Mm-hmm. So when the exam comes out, we automatically award them that, um, that certification because they know it. So why will they do it? One, they're the first ones to get it. They get to post it before the, any others. Yeah. Partners love that. Customers love that. And employees like that too. That's one way to motivate them. Um, it depends on your partner structure. Um, at Braze, we had offered the partners who chose to help us a chance to be preferred partners so that you know they would get um, resource before some other partners. There's all different types of incentives that you can use. You need to work with your partner team to see what incentives will work with your partners. Just make sure that whoever's writing your questions, if you're writing your questions in English, are fluent in the language. Right. Right. If they're fluent in another language and you're going to translate to that language, then that's okay too. Because if you're going to write in Spanish, then you may want Spanish people, you know, Spanish speakers writing your questions. You'll definitely want them to translate, but you need to really be careful of your language. These are, this is gold. I mean, these are things that I, we did a little bit of this and we did have some like pizza beer kind of, well, I, I, I kind of pushed back on the beer because it was so technical. We did that later. <laughs> <laughs> we did that after. But I love those kind of stuff because the creative thinking involved in you, this is way beyond project management now. This is motivating people and and getting them to share your vision. And and actually, it's kind of exciting because as a team, as a company, I like to say the certification program is a product itself, right? It is in product teams. If you're listening, this is for you. In a way, like we are, this is one of the unsung hero moments of customer education. I think, you know, it goes back to some experiences that I've had where we did some analysis, we did some big project, we shared this information that we've learned about our customers with Executive Suite, and they go, "Product, are you are you getting this? Like, are you seeing this? Because you don't think of education as being that, although we're we're involved in." And a different kind of emotion. We're involved in helping people retain what they've learned about how the product works. And we're also in customer education challenged by a shifting sands of time that the product changes so quickly. Exactly. And I had a customer, um, when I do questions, when I do my exam, when I launch it, I leave it so that customers, anyone taking the exam can give me feedback on the question in the middle of the exam, right? So they could just post it right there. That way I get that. I had a couple of questions that customers had commented on 
that, wow, this is the coolest use case. I never thought of doing that. Now I'm going to go do that. And it yeah, meant that they were going to, they were going up a level in their product in order to do it, right? So product adoption is definitely affected by certification. And, you know, scenario-based questions can really help drive that. That's great. The other piece of uh, review that we didn't talk about yet is um, the modified ANGOF review. The modified ANGOF review is where we cut set our cut score before we go into beta testing. And so that consists of one question and it's out of 100 minimally qualified candidates, how many people would get this question correct? The answer has to be above 25 because statistically speaking, um, 25 would get it right just on a random and it should be below 90. So really between 20 and 90 is what we're looking for, for scores. Uh, and that's going to help us get our beta test, but that's one more um, review. If you're in a real time crunch, one thing you could consider doing is merging your technical review and your ANGOF review. Oh, so asking yes. five questions at the uh, technical review phase. The drawback to that is you might have to do more reviews than you planned because if they didn't make it out of the technical review, they're going to have to be re redone through the ANGOF again anyways. Okay. Um, but it's still... there depends on how how close your questions are to to being good and as you're doing an edit of your questions before you send them to technical review most of us if you if you're a user of your software you can start to see if they're going to be if, if they'll work or not and you can start to see where you think there's going to be red flags yeah that that's good to be a user of your own software and you're building programs for sure it makes it a lot easier so let's talk more about we're 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 up through technical review. We're now in the beta testing mode. So we'll talk about a couple of different things. We got beta testing, and then we want to talk a little bit about some backend stuff. Um, beta testing, I think, is where things should have been straightforward for us, but ended up kind of getting difficult. And one of the things I know we worked really hard to do was to to stay with the best practice, the industry metric of like getting a hundred people involved. And we got high 60s. We and actually then we did some more stuff. So we got there. But it took a long time. And I wanted to, to, to challenge that a little bit. So how can we bring the time involved in beta testing down? Okay. Well, I don't go for like if I got a hundred, I'd be psyched, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd be psyched, but I don't plan on getting a hundred. I'm looking for 30. There's a statistical number around 30 that if you put it out on the on the normal curve mm -hmm. that 30 is really what you need and so i i use the n of 30 all the time i go back to my old statistics books um, when i had to have an n of 30 and and that's what i use so as long as i get 30 great i like to keep my beta open for a month um i don't want it to go longer than that and so i should be able to get 30 if I can get 100 in the month to do it, great. I always have 100 sign up for it, but only half of those who sign up for it actually do it is what I find. Yeah, that's usually that. But that's the, I, the thing that I wanted to bring out in this discussion, in this point, is that in customer education, again, we're framing this up as a practice. This is a discipline that's not been around in name and in, you know, 
how we do it for very long. And we're still trying to evolve into that. But this is one of those moments, like all of the things that you're talking about, Debbie, with certification are kind of adaptive, right? Yes. Because we work in an environment and this is why it's so, okay, let's, let's con- compare contrast and talk instructional designer, you know, formal instructional designer coming in from the industry with a background, maybe even degree in that, who comes into customer education. Those individuals typically have some adaptation to, that they have some, they have to change a little bit because now we're moving faster. We're not going to do things the same way. We need to think about the the North Star. You know, my goal is is go to market. How can I get to market as soon as possible with the best possible product with a little rough edges, and that's okay. And that's where I think this is the, everything you're talking about is how we do certification, how SAS does certification. And it's different from formal stuff. So that's okay to change. And frankly, I think the results that you're getting and others are getting are pretty amazing. Uh, it's, it's, we're having good results for certification programs. We, uh, I want to collect the numbers somewhere that we can actually all report on them. But right now, from talking to everyone, I know from talking to all my friends in certification, every one of them is telling me that they see a decrease in churn, that they see increase in product adoption. They see increase in active users, if that's what they measure. They see increase in annual contract value, ARR, MRR, whichever term you want to use, right? Mm-hmm. There's, we're definitely seeing all of those impacts. So we want to get it out there quickly and iterate. So there's things that we need to constantly be doing at least on a quarterly basis, we want to be reviewing the questions. Uh I mean, people will tell you you should do it every month. That's just not real for most companies. It's just not enough time in the day. So it's got to happen at least quarterly that that you're reviewing your questions for a couple of things. One, that your product hasn't changed. Our products change so quickly that you have to make sure that your questions are still right, that that the button is still where you said it was and still called what you said it was called, right? Because it it happens. you also want to be looking at your p-values and your correlation coefficients. And many of the platforms will give you those numbers either right beside the question or in a separate report that you could just pull down the report. And you can see all of those p-value correlation coefficients. And there's some standards around where everything should fall on the p-values and correlation coefficients so that we can look at those ourselves and say, okay, yeah, this question is not performing very well. The p-value is a one. A p-value of a one means everyone's getting it right. If everyone is getting a question right, the question is not doing you any good. It shouldn't be on your test. Yeah. If it's a zero, the question's really bad and no one's getting it right. Correlation coefficient, if your correlation coefficient is really low, that means that the people who are getting the question right are not passing the exam. Hmm. Now you know you've got a really interesting question that's <laughs> definitely not, not doing you any good. So you really need to look at that, at that question. So those are the numbers that you need to look at. And the systems all give us that today. Yeah. This is great. Okay. Let's get to the last subject matter and then we can get out the door. But I hate to rush this. I think this is this is such a fun. In in the course of you talking, one other thing that I thought about is there have been a number of really good talks about customer about certification. We've done I think at least two. We were on a panel together I think a year or two ago at Skillchar, yep. and um, 
that was great. There's a lot of references out there. And I, I think you're even developing some more resources too, aren't you? I, I am. Jamie, Jamie Cantor and I are working on a book together okay. um, on how to do SAS certifications. I just published a book chapter on learner credential outcomes, which is what's the benefit of certification and credentials for learners. Right. Um, so there, there's more and more that we're putting out all the time on it because it's just, it's such a need. There's people asking questions about this every day. I agree. Okay. With that in mind, let's go into the, the, the final, you know, I don't know if they'll call it a lightning round, but let's talk about the back end of this. Let's talk about some other things that um, may help us foster a good relationship with our, like the people that are earning this certificate and our, our, our group. Um, what about, I, here's the subject that I wanted to talk about at the end, PDUs. You brought that up. I didn't even think about this. What, what is a PDU? Why is this something that you can use to really help make for an amazing certification program? So there's, there's two ways of looking at your certification. Yeah. You can either put a date on your certification. And so it has a year date on it. Uh-huh. You can uh, not put a date on it and just say, have it automatically expire after so many years. You can do it by your product date, like Microsoft does. So Microsoft, for example, I am Microsoft Office 10 certified, right? So I was never going back to take an exam again, because that's how I have to do it at, at Microsoft, is I have to go back <laughs> and study for it and take that exam again, and that's not happening. So what I've started doing is following uh, the Project Management Institute's method, which is PDUs. And what a PDU is, is it's simply one hour of training. And with uh, Project Management Institute, over three years, they have you get 60 hours of PDUs. Mm -hmm. Normally, what I've been doing with SAS is I've been doing 10 hours of PDUs to renew your certification to automatically get the next year's certification. The reason I think about doing it that way is because I really want to make sure people stay engaged with the platform, that they're still using it. And that, and if they're still doing the training, that I know they're still using it, they're staying current with what's happening. If they're not staying current with it, then their certification can expire. But as we use PDUs, it does a couple things. It boosts our training. Mm -hmm. It boosts the engagement. It's the method. I actually surveyed my customers to find out what which method they wanted to renew. I gave them the choice of annual exams, quarterly exams, or PDUs. Hands down, every single customer said PDUs. A few of the managers said they wanted their people to take the exams again, but they didn't want to take the exams again, which I also <laughs> thought was quite funny. Uh, so that was an interesting little tidbit. Uh, but beyond the training... I also give PDUs for engaging at our conferences because if you go to our conference, our conference is a three-day conference. Yeah. You're in training all day. Most user conferences are really training conferences, even though we don't call them that. Thank you for saying that. I, I believe that as well. When you ask to do training, I'm like, why are we going to do more? I could do that online. Go and learn other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yep. User conferences are training. They're all about training. And the same thing when we do regional meetups. You know, we do a social hour, but there's always some component of training. So we give PDUs for that. Marketing loves it. It helps drive attendance. But customers love it because it's 
an easy way for them to stay engaged and renew their certification without having to retest. So that's really good. The other thing is if you use PDUs, it's a standard measure. The PDUs can be translated to CEUs, which is continuing ed credits, which is 10 hours for everyone. Okay. CEP, which is what the accountants use, is one hour of training for each CEP. So where we've already aligned it with the PDUs, it's really easy for them to print out their training record and give it to their record body and get credit for it. So at Smartsheets, we've actually taken the step to become an authorized provider at PMI because we do so much with with PMI. Uh, So we're authorized through them. But even our courses that aren't authorized through them, if you are a PMP, you can print out your your record and enter it in when you go to renew your certification. So what are we doing for our customers? We're getting them two benefits for their PDUs. They're renewing with us and they can renew with their other system too. So customers like it for that. It's really helpful for them. Yeah. And you know what? This, This really frames up certification, your certification program as a community tool. It's something that's kind of at the core of helping. I guess this is what everybody wants, Debbie, that SaaS companies are, are again, they've, we, how do I even, I was thinking about this the other day and why I like software and why I like working in SaaS so much, particularly for startups that are fast growing. It's that somebody comes up with a really great idea and it's disruptive and disruptive in a good way. I've, I've got this idea to make this platform like it out. Let's use outreach because I'm working there now. It's pretty fabulous to see this concept of a, a new term of sales engagement. And what does that even mean? So if we tend to go out and go, oh, here's this new thing. And here's a software I built to support that new thing. Nobody knows anything about that, right? And that right. makes certification even more important for our field because it's like, okay, well, nobody knows anything. The first people, it's like mining for gold, the gold rush that's happened you know, in the West a couple of times. And everyone's like, like, I say this all the time, partners, our partners are really some of those people that are crafty and smart and talented. And they're like, I want to be there first. I have the subject matter expertise. And they are like really on these certifications because they want to show it. They want to prove it. Right. And a lot of our, our customers are like that too, because imagine you're a, you're a, a salesperson, you're early in your career. How do you differentiate yourself from anybody else? How? Well, you could say you did stuff and you could say you used outreach. But if I come to you and say, here's a badge, prove it. you can prove it. Just take the test. It's not that expensive, but it's going to take you. I'm on board. So it's, it's a new time. It's a new era. This is really exciting but it's different, palpably different from other kinds of disciplines. And, and I really love seeing what you're doing with that. With all the changes that have happened in society over the last year, I mean, we can't ignore the last year, right? What has happened the last year? It, what has happened? Hard. I don't know. <laughs> Stuck in a house it's, for a year? People aren't finishing college, right? And so not only are people not finishing college, but many SaaS companies have re- removed the requirement for a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. So how do we know people know how to do things? Certification is going to fill in that gap. And those certifications are really going to help people be able to get jobs, especially if they haven't gone to college. So this is whole new oh area that's about to explode. And 
like we really need to start thinking about this because as we remove education barriers, we need still need something to help upskill people so that they have the skills to come in to do the jobs that we need. Yeah. And it's not just like going on any online learning platform and just taking some courses. This is real deep learning. This is real meaningful learning. I I, I kind of hate the MOOC world where you can go, I'll go, oh, I'm going to learn a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And it's like going to a smorgasbord and just, yeah, I had all the things and now I got a stomachache. But <laughs> <laughs> instead, I'm going to go have that nice, I'm going to go to the restaurant with my partner. We're going to have an amazing meal. We're going to pay a lot of money for it. And we're going to come out of there pretty darn happy about it. And I've had the experience and then have something to say about it. And it's, it's meaningful. It's significant. It's not fast food. It's really intentionality. I love that analogy. That's a great analogy. It's well, sometimes I get lucky. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Debbie, I think we've gone really, we've gone a little long, but I'm glad you were, you're, you're able to spend this time with me. And again, I'm going to thank you for being so available that, and, and this is number one, thank you for all the work you're doing and the community of people that we've talked about on this, this podcast. If, if you're out there and you want to talk about subjects like this as well, let, let us know because we're, we're here to elevate you and get the word out. And particularly like I look at you as my go-to for certification and I'm, I just thank my lucky stars that I can reach out to you and say, like, I've had hard moments. I've had really hard moments. And we've had this conversation in a lighter context before, but this is sharing with the world. So thanks for that. Um, okay, let's wrap up. And again, this is kind of a 200 level certification. We've talked about this before. You can look at the other episodes we had and we'll give links. Um, and Debbie, will call to you to like put some more links to your works as well. And really want to know about your upcoming book. When it comes out, we will be, we've got your back to help promote. Um, so in, in retrospect, I think we've proven our hypothesis pretty clearly. And the call to action that I can give to you is really sit down. Okay. Your manager, your leader, maybe you're going to look at interviewing at a job. What's going to help you stand out? is thinking about what Debbie has said here and her responses and, and her strategies and her best practices. For SAS, this is hard. This is new. This is different. Take some time to really sit back. Think about what you're going, what you're doing if you're going to create a program, right? I tend to think many leaders that, you know, I, I was talking with some of my leadership and they think about, this is a market differentiator. It is absolutely that. This is something that is a must-have for a lot of companies but if you do this without thinking about the potential downsides, you're really setting yourself up for, for potential problems down the road. And also, uh, let's go back to what we were talking about, the term certification. I have to say this again as a PSA. If you're going to use that term, or if you catch anybody else using that term, and they're not using it in context of what Debbie, you have set out, like you're, you're our canonical reference now for certification in SAS, that this is, it's something significant. You need to go through a process. You need to understand that it's going to cost money. It's going to cost you resource time. And if any of your leadership is resistant to any of that, sit down, take a moment, share this podcast, get them to Debbie. If you have time, (laughs) get them to me. I'm happy to talk. I'm happy to talk to you. Um, But if you're just making a test with no proctoring, no controls, it's not certification. Anything else to add to that before we close out? Totally agree, spot on. And 
don't hesitate to connect with me on LinkedIn and reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to people about this. My goal in talking about this is to help rel- to raise all of us in customer education. And so we all have a standard and can explain this to people because it's it's hard. I've struggled through it and I want to make it easier for others. Yeah, it, it's really hard. And it's really hard with people that have, had, have not had any background to it or exposure. Exactly. Thank you so much for having me today, Dave. You're quite welcome. And now to end this out, if you want to learn more, we have, of course, our podcast website at customer.education. You can find their show notes, other material, including transcripts of the entire talk that we had. Uh, I, I like to take some extra time to bring out bullets and things that have been said and, and bring particular attention to that. So go check that out. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Dave Darrington. Uh, at Adam Evermescu is Adams. Do you, are you on the Twitters and you're in Twitterverse? And you use that? I don't. I don't do Twitter. I do LinkedIn I never, primarily, but I'm out there. Yeah, I, I actually, I do have a Twitter. My Twitter is Days Thoughts. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I like the creative ones. Uh, that, that was my Twitter that I created like the year Twitter came out. Like I've been on it since then, but don't actually use it a whole lot. But I do get the notifications if, if someone does message me there. But I'm on LinkedIn all the time. And um, it's Debbie Carey Smith on LinkedIn. Um, And then I'm also very active in SEDMA and in the customer education Slack channel. Fabulous. And we are, there's a lot of us on there. If you need to hear more about that, just reach out. So special thanks to Alan Coda. Alan, again, your music for our, our podcast is amazing. We love it. And if this helped you out, you can help us out by subscribing in Apple podcast, overcast, whatever your, your podcatcher of choice. Uh, one of the things I really encourage you to do is get out there. And if, if this helped you, if this touched you, if this made your job easier, leave us a review. We're now streaming these on YouTube as well. Subscribe and like, we're going to have a lot more content coming. And again, this conversation we've had with Debbie here, Debbie, again, thank you so much. This is the core of what we want to do at C-Lab. We're a laboratory. We're thinking, we're creating, we're experimenting, we're learning together. I don't have all the answers all the time. That's why I'm interviewing Debbie and others. So if you want to reach out and and talk about and go deep on a subject area in this space, reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So to our audience, thanks for joining us. Go out, educate, experiment, find your people. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.